Absolutely. When you can solve their problem. And again, if we stop worrying about selling our product and we start worrying about how we serve our people, you know, what do they really need? How can I add to what I give them? Because I know what I have is good for them. But how do I help them understand how much it fixes their problem? Looking at how we can serve is always going to steer us in the right direction. Welcome to the Wear, Wag, Repeat podcast. I'm Tori Mystic. As a dog mom lifestyle expert, blogger, and business owner, I love talking to other women in the pet industry and sharing their advice with you every week. Sit, stay, and listen to the latest episode. In this episode, I talked to Julie Swan about how talk of an impending recession is affecting the pet industry or not. (laughs) Are there ways that you can recession-proof your pet business? Julie has some suggestions and observations on how to best serve your pet parent customers so you can make your business thrive. Julie is a full-time dog breeder who also teaches an online course and membership program for breeders. Her experience and expertise in the psychology of how pet parents shop applies to any type of pet industry business. In this conversation, we talk about examples for a variety of businesses, but if you want Julie's take on recession-proofing your responsible dog breeding program, listen to episode 52 of her podcast, The Honest Dog Breeder Podcast. One thing that did come up at the end of this conversation, and it's something that I always recommend, is to diversify your income stream. You never want to put all the good, squeaky tennis balls in one basket. You know the ball I'm talking about. It's the ball your dog can't live without. You don't want to lose that one basket with all the good, squeaky balls in it. So if you are interested in diversifying your income by teaching an online course about your zone of genius about pets, I would love to help you. In a one-on-one strategy session, we could zero in on your course idea, outline the lessons, and create a launch plan. Check it out and sign up for a session with me at wherewagrepeat.com slash coaching. Julie Swan is a full-time dog breeder and dog breeding business strategist. She is the founder and CEO of the Dog Breeder Society, a monthly membership and community for dog breeders looking to build an integrity-based, profitable dog breeding business that they love. She's also the host of the Honest Dog Breeder podcast, a podcast dedicated to the honest truth about breeding dogs. This is actually Julie's second time on the Wear, Wag, Repeat podcast. Previously, I interviewed her on episode 184 about pricing. That is a great conversation that applies to anyone with a business, not just breeders. And actually, it is my most downloaded episode ever. Hi, Julie. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have you back here uh, because we get to chat kind of back and forth on Instagram throughout the year, but there's nothing quite like talking face-to-face over Zoom. It's so much nicer than just, yes, Instagram. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's not really face-to-face. I wish I could meet everyone in person, but this will have to do for now. Perfect. So you were on the show before. We talked about pricing and um, you're coming back today talking a little bit kind of like a little sidestep away from that, uh, about recession proofing your pet 
business. Uh, if you turn on the news or read any news apps now, you really can't avoid any headlines about this impending doom and gloom recession. <laughs> this forever dark cloud that's looming. Yes. And I feel like they've been talking about it for a really long time and uh, there's so much buildup. So I hope it's going to be anticlimactic. Um, but just in case it isn't, we do want to prepare ourselves and just in general, it's good to be, you know, to tighten up your belt and just, you know, know what your numbers are in your business. Absolutely. Absolutely. I always feel like, you know, you don't really need a recession to do this with your business, but, you know, but if you need a reason, here it is. So it's worth looking at your business and definitely seeing where you stand. So I guess the first thing I'd like to throw out there is that, you know, we all get that like cold sweat. Sometimes you wake up at 3am like, Oh no, am I going to be able to do this business any longer? You know, it's kind of freaky, but, um, pets aren't going away. Like they're not. Um, what I saw, for example, with the dog breeding market, some people were like, Oh, people aren't buying puppies. Well, we have to remember back in, you know, 2020, we had COVID and everybody was like, oh my gosh, I'll be home. Perfect time to get a dog. And a lot of people who got dogs didn't really need dogs. They weren't dog people. They thought they were dog people. So we saw the shelters go empty. We saw a bunch of new breeders hit the scene. And of course, that's going to perpetuate into all the other pet industry stuff, right? And now you're seeing that swing back. And what we're seeing is actually normalizing. We're normalizing the market of pets and pet ownership. We're not seeing a decline. It's just getting back to where it should be. <laughs> um, so that's helpful. And I also, you know, people are not, so like I said, they're not going to get rid of dogs. You're always going to have dogs. You're going to have pets, you know? Yeah. That's really good perspective because sometimes people want to show you a chart where they're like, Oh my God, look at this decline. But if you back that chart up like five years, it's probably not as dramatic as it is just normalizing. Exactly. Exactly. Although I did just Google to see um, some of the, what happened in a recession with dogs and um, the AKC did have an article and I thought it was so funny, but they noted that small dogs and large dogs that were in the yard were frequently stolen. And I thought that was just kind of a funny thing, but they were getting stolen for um, quick turnaround and profit. It's just kind of interesting, but anyways, um, scary. Have a good well, I mean, it does seem like, you know, I, I have also heard a lot about like dog napping is a problem in big cities and, uh, and people are stealing them to sell them, um, which is so terrible. So it's weird to think about, but yes, it's it very weird. The black market of dogs, <laughs> right? We're not just selling kidneys. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> this is not a Halloween episode. I swear. <laughs> my bad, my bad. You're good. Um, um, so, so yeah, so that's a very interesting shift and you're right. It did that boom of like, everyone wanted to have a dog. It affected everything. It trickled down to the groomers, to the vets, to the dog walkers. Um, you know, a lot of people were shut down because of COVID, but then when they were allowed to open, they were like inundated and some people were just completely overwhelmed. So leveling out is maybe a good thing for a lot of people. I think so. And I think what we're seeing is actually this similar demand to what we, to what we had before COVID. And that wasn't bad. That was a pretty normal market. Right. So um, you have some ideas, some suggestions that we're going to talk about, about ways that you can kind of, you know, quote unquote, recession proof your pet business. Um, but like you just said a few minutes ago, these are things you can do anytime. Um, it is just 
there, there's so much comfort and peace of mind when you know your numbers and when you know where you stand. If you don't know, then you're going to be panicking all the time. So you could actually do this whenever. The first thing, so we have four things on our list. The first thing is about customer service. So why is this important in, the, in a recession? So in the recession, so people are going to have a lot of options, right? So, so demand is down, supply is high. You know, if your products are going to be out there. You're going to be competing with other people. And sometimes what makes the difference and more times than not, it makes the difference is the customer service that goes with it, right? Why do we have, why do real estate agents have the following they have? Why do they get so much business? You know, you usually see a couple are really big and then there's all these little guys and it's because their customer service is on par. Um, I mean, they're just, they're unparalleled. And so if we can look at ways to add customer service to our products in a way that isn't taxing for us necessarily, um, we can really create uh, a great experience for our customers. And that is often what makes them pick you over someone else. And just, you know, an example would be, you know, maybe you're the one who taught them about why this grooming brush is the right grooming brush for your type dog or why this collar fits better or why this harness is going to fix their problem. You know, anything you're teaching and you're building that rapport with them by educating, that's a great way to add value that doesn't necessarily cost you anything extra. And I think that's what we can aim to do. And that might be as simple as sending out a little email list that says, hey, we're so excited. You know, you joined us. Here's three ways to use our product or three reasons you should buy our product. (laughs) Yeah, that kind of like follow up makes a huge difference. Um, and and you're right; it doesn't have to be. You don't have to roll out the red carpet like a luxury real estate agent might have to. Um, <laughs> but just you know, when you were talking about this, the example that came to my mind is for dog trainers. You know, there's people who are like, my dog doesn't like treats, and it's like, well, how could you maybe help them? find a motivator, whether it's trying a bunch of different treats or finding a toy they like, like that, that would be like huge for people. They would love you forever. Absolutely. When you can solve their problem. And again, if we stop worrying about selling our product and we start worrying about how we serve our people, you know, what do they really need? How can I add to what I give them? Cause I know what I have is good for them, but how do I help them understand how much it fixes their problem? Looking at how we can serve is always going to steer us in the right direction. So there's the customer service before someone even buys. And then there's also the customer service like during and after they buy. Um, and it could be as simple as email sequences. Absolutely. It can be very simple. And this is those points where if you're overwhelmed with certain things, or I always tell people, like, if you get the, the same question three times in a row, it should be on your website. Like just use that as an indicator that you need to educate ahead of the time. That's a that I never really thought about that, but having a good FAQ on your website is customer service. Absolutely. And think of it like a living document. That FAQ can be added to all the time. Right. And do you um do you often ask people for your customers, clients, puppy parents, whatever, um, for feedback? Like, do you ever send out surveys um to kind of ask people, you know, what was good about this experience, what would have been better? Yeah, I do. Actually, I try to have a conversation with them at the end of puppy pickup. So like once they get their dog from me and they're doing the thing and I'm like trying to make sure they have all the information they need. I usually forget to collect money. Thankfully, they almost always remember. And (laughs) then I say, okay, you know, like, how was this? Was this helpful? Do you feel prepared? Um, You know, what can we do? How can I make this better next time? Yeah, no. And then I'm sure you're always available for follow-up questions and stuff too. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And I try to call people the day after. I mean, getting a puppy is a big deal. Now I've noticed though, if you call puppy parents the morning after at like nine o'clock in the morning, they're like, should something be wrong? Like they're worried that you don't trust them. But I kind of call them in the afternoon. Like they're like, oh yeah, things were good, you know? And, and so that's, that's nice. They don't feel stressed out when you call in the morning. That's good. That's something that you just learn from doing it over and over. <laughs> doing their like freak out on the phone. Yeah. Try not to do that. What's wrong? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love that. So customer service is very important. And that's something that doesn't cost you anything other than your time a little bit. Um, and you can kind of automate and systematize a lot of it too. Mm-hmm. Um, so the second thing on our list is knowing your niche really well. So how does that help you recession-proof your pet business? As far as that, just niching down. So, okay. So here's, there's two theories on this in the recession. And so you kind of need to take an evaluation of your business and see what works. Um, first off, niching down by all means, if I know specifically who I'm sending my product to, I can give them exactly what they need. My support can be perfectly tailored to them. And I think that's, that's where the niching down really, really helps you in building your business. Um, however, looking back to like construction, going through the 2008 recession, you know, Bill, you know, he was in construction back then, a little rough. Um, (laughs) but what happened was he actually learned how to do a lot of other things. So for example, Bill was a framer, so he just built things with wood, but then he learned a little bit of drywall and he learned a bit of tile work and he learned it. So, um, adding to your resume in a recession so that you can pick up a little bit of side work here and there on other things, isn't necessarily a bad thing especially if you can learn a complementary skill, um, that will build your business better. Like for example, if I was a dog trainer and a dog breeder, my resume would look a lot better and that would win over certain clients. So then I might be more interested in now niching down to people who wanted dogs specifically for certain events that I specialize in training in. And now I could charge a higher price because I'm very, very specific to what I do. So you would be expanding your skill set, but actually niching down more so on your clients. Correct. Correct. And if you can, yes. And when you, when you really corner a very tight market, that's where the big numbers go. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. And so I could see, um, like just in like as a blogger or an influencer in in my space, you know, there are people who specialize really in TikTok or really specialize in Instagram or blogging, but if you got good at a lot of things, you might be able to offer your clients like their whole marketing package instead of just being this one person they hire to do Instagram, you might mm-hmm. be their go-to person for all the things. Sure. And even if you specialized in Instagram, but get a hang of, of TikTok, just being able to say, here's how you can repurpose your Instagram content on TikTok, you know, because now you're saving them time again, serving them with a, you know, higher quality customer service. Yeah. Awesome. Great examples too. I love this. Um, okay. So, and, and just for everyone who's listening, Julie, um, has, and I I think I mentioned this in the intro that I will record after (laughs) we talk. Um, but you have a whole episode on your podcast. It's episode 52 of the honest dog breeder podcast. Um, Mm -hmm where you talk about all of these things, but really super specific to dog breeding businesses. Um, so today we're kind of talking in general. And so the third thing on our list, um, is going to be a little bit different on this conversation, (laughs) but it's cutting back on things that aren't working, which is, is hard 
to do. Um, as they say in like the writing world, it's like kill your darlings, you know, like deleting, deleting the parts that you spent hours writing and, and put all your lovely words into. Um, they call that like killing your darlings. <laughs> <laughs> Metaphor. <laughs> it's very, uh, this is like a Halloween episode. Um, it is. Or it must be like in spooky mood, but, um, but I think like in business, it, you know, that does apply, like cutting back on things that aren't working, but it's hard because sometimes you're like, I, but I love this thing. How do I decide what to cut out? Absolutely. I think it's really important. This is something you could do like every, I mean, you could do it every three months, but six months is realistic. I think for most people, especially entrepreneurs, um, but going through and seeing really what is paying off, what is making money for you. And I think there's like this old business adage that kind of comes up from time to time, but it's about. of your profit comes from 20% of your work. And so if you can find what that 20% is, that's really making your money. And then let's put more effort into that, whether that's more marketing, whether that's better customer service, you know, if you can double the amount of sales you have in this particular thing, now we can buy less supplies and just make this thing, or we can just market this one product. And I think one thing that's missed a lot of times, and this does go back to the niching down is you want to be known for something specific. If people were like, Julie does everything dog, nobody would come to me for anything dog because I can't be a specialist in everything. So when you know that I breed German short hairs, you know where you can go for German short hairs, but you you need to be known for something specific. So um, don't, don't be stuck as the handyman who never gets called to fix anything because he does everything. <laughs> and so how do you... How do you decide if you have something that is like a passion area of your business, but it's not making you any money? Sure. How how do you decide? How do you make the call? Absolutely. So you really want to dig in and figure out why isn't it making money? Sometimes it's, it's a little bit of soul searching, but sometimes it's not making money because you don't trust what you have is good enough. And that's a hard conversation to have with yourself. Um, but when you realize, okay, where's my passion at? And is this quality? And sometimes you have to lean on your customers and see that they've really been successful with the product you created for them or, you know, the service you provided for them. And so go back to where you made the greatest impact. And also don't forget to work with the people you love to work with. So find out where you made the greatest impact and they were clients you enjoyed working with. And that's your sweet spot. That's really great advice. And then you can kind of like, you don't maybe don't have to like cancel everything else, but just don't focus on it. Or also look at, you know, if something is a cash cow, I mean, I'm a big fan of cash cows in business, right? They're things that are brainless. Yeah. Make money. Okay. And if we can have some cash cows in, in the business, sometimes it makes enough money that you could you could hire a VA to part-time run that part of your business, allowing you a greater amount of time to focus on the things that you really care about, or that would move the needle more for you more if you could invest the time in it and get it going. Yeah. That's really great advice. I think I, the reason why I'm like pushing so hard on this topic is because I'm trying to figure out what to do myself because I have um, my online, I have an online store that I've had for a while and it's gone through a lot of uh, different iterations of, you know, it started off with just like three products. And then I was like, Oh no, people really want to scroll through lots of things. And I added like 70 products. (laughs) And then I was like, Oh God, this is a nightmare. And so I like cut it all back out and went back to like the basics. Um, 
But at the end of the day, no matter if I had three products or 70 products or somewhere around 20 where I'm at now or something like that, um, it just doesn't make a lot of sales. And it's frustrating to me because I like it. Um, and I, and it makes sales from time to time and the people who buy stuff like it, um, and it's very hands off because it's a lot of print on demand. Sure. Uh, so I'm like, well, it doesn't take a lot of my effort. It doesn't take a lot of my time. I guess I could just leave it there, but it's not sure. thriving. So I'm like, I never know what to do about it. It seems like it's probably pretty specific to certain people, right? And so if it's really specific, I find places sometimes like, you know, like Etsy, like you can get so specific on things in Etsy and they're like, they're completely tailored to your needs. I need a daily planner that has this, 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 and this on it. And it's like, I can find that on Etsy. I'm not sure why, but I can. And so often I think um, it's helpful to really focus your market on just those people that you're serving, or maybe they're stuck in between two of your products, you know, or you sell something, but not something else that's a direct competitor, maybe having an article on why, why do we only carry this product? Well, because we hated the feedback we got on the other product and we hated it so much. And we felt so bad selling that product that we took it off our store, you know, something along those lines. Interesting. Yeah. I need to, I need to ramp up like some blog posts or some stuff that the online store, I'm not quite ready to quit it yet. <laughs> I just feel like it needs a little bit of love and it might break even. <laughs> and go back to your people that loved it, you know? And if you can go back to the people who didn't use as much, you know, maybe they bought once and never came back. And, you know, was it not what you were looking for? Was it not what you expected or? That's a know? good idea. I think that's a hard conversation to have. And it makes you like cringe a little bit to email <laughs> someone and be like, you bought this one time, like, did you like, what was wrong with it <laughs> right, right. <laughs> or whatever, you know, you have to word it in a way. Cause maybe they loved it and they only needed it the one time who knows, but, um, it's, exactly. it's those scary conversations that can make the biggest impact. Oh, it's so true. It's so true. I know. And I, I get that cold spot too. You know, like somebody leaves the membership and you think, I wonder what happened. What did I do? You know? And I take it so personal and it's like, you know, one lady was like, well, I, I have three kids and they're under five and it's just not happening right now. And I'm like, oh yeah, that kind of makes a lot of sense, you know, but yeah. it's good to know that, you know, and maybe to prepare them in the future that this takes X amount of time. And if you don't have that kind of time, maybe you want to wait. Yeah, you're, you're right. That could be something to put in the FAQs, you know, instead of saying, you know, it really just takes one hour a month, um, being more honest and saying <laughs> it might be one hour a week. If, if you're going to really interact or more than really one hour. Yeah. The, the, mm-hmm. The results you're looking for, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So uh, we have covered in the four things to recession proof your pet business, customer service, uh, knowing your niche really well, or kind of expanding what you do to better serve your niche, I guess. Um, cutting back on things that aren't working. And then now number four is, and I think this is a, a really kind of unexpected thing, but is to buy in bulk uh, supplies that you know you're going to need. It's like who our recession advice is to spend money <laughs> buying things in bulk now. It's a little counterintuitive, yes. <laughs> but that's a great piece of advice. So tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. So, I mean, the best example I have is like, I usually buy dog food by the pallet. Um, my price break where I purchase food comes every 12 bags. I get a price break. So buying 12 at a time is easy, but I also go through that in like, you know, less than a month. So it's not that big a deal. Um, but what I realized was my 
bag of food was going up two, three dollars every single month. And that's 12 times. And then, you know, and so I'm like, oh man, what if we can't get it? And then the meat that's in mine happens to be sourced in New Zealand. So, you know, me in Arizona, that's likely. So I just worried and I thought, you know, maybe if I just bite the bullet, take this entire litter, purchase a couple, you know, six months, eight months of food and then have it. And so that, that has now given me a buffer from the increase in price as well as you know, giving me peace of mind that my dogs have food. So when I'm at like three months left to go, I can go do another bulk purchase. And so you're saving money and you're getting peace of mind because two things can happen in a recession. One, the cost of your supplies is going to potentially go up or the worst case scenario is you can't get it at all. And you know, you're stuck. So it's like people want to buy your stuff, but you can't make it because you can't get it. And so if there's a way that you can look ahead to purchase, to maintain an inventory. And then sometimes you get better deals. You know, you get a better price when you buy more. (laughs) So if it's feasible um, and it's not going to kill you, don't be running up your credit card. But if it's not going to kill you, then um, yeah, definitely. See if you can buy a couple things ahead or, you know, look for a co-op buy. If you work with somebody who uses similar stuff, like for me, if I had a smaller breeding program, I could have gone in with another breeder to buy more dog food, maybe get a better price. You know, it's always worth asking your suppliers if they have a price break, because sometimes they'll be like, well, as long as you buy 20, here's a break. Yeah, no, that's that's great advice. And I could see this applying to, you know, people who make dog accessories, um, any kind of gift things. I know with T-shirts, there's a big price break at different quantities. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. So there's tons and tons of things that, that applies to. And it kind of is like, you know, when you s- sign up for a lot of like s- like software things, if you pay for the whole year in advance, you usually get two months free or something. And and you could even apply this in dog training in reverse. So say you, you book sessions and you, maybe you could do a bulk discount um, by, by having them buy a package, which was a lot more sessions. And that might be something that was feasible for them. Um, even if it was paid on a monthly basis, but that way they could, you know, you would have that kind of guaranteed income coming in and they would get a better price. And so sometimes that's not a bad way to go. Yeah, no, it's, it's great from, from both angles. Um, now the bonus kind of bonus tip, I guess, is also diversifying your income, which I think is, has kind of, come up and touches on all the things that we've talked about. Um, But what I love uh, and admire so much about what you do is that not only do you have this great dog breeding program, but you have online programs like a course and a membership that teaches other people how to grow their business. Um, Mm -hmm. So I just, I think that's, that's really smart and kind of monetizing your expertise to other business owners. It's not competition. You know, we're all in this together. Sure. Absolutely. And I think the more you have that mindset of how can I help other people and we're all working, like you say, together, we can make it better for everyone. I always think that like, if I make a hundred dollars and then I buy something for you for a hundred dollars, we both made a hundred dollars that year, you know? Right. (laughs) And it's the same hundred dollar bill, if you will, but we each made it. And so there's no limit to money. Money is not, it's not limited because every time it changes hands, it multiplies itself. And so that's the beautiful thing about it. We can all be wealthy. We can all have what we want to have. It's it's not a limited resource. Right. And there's probably, I don't know, I'm pulling this number totally out of my butt, but like 100 <laughs> million dogs probably in, oh, in the United States. Yes. So um, there's plenty of customers out there. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I, I think if you're going to make a product right now, 
Um, of course, you're going to sell your information. I mean, all those things are great. You could set up an automated PDF that's 20 bucks. And you know what? If you if you sell that 10 times a month, maybe that pays your dog food. Um, you know. It, that's it, how I do math too. I'm always like, oh, this is cost as much as a bag of dog food. That's how I figure out everything. <laughs> when I was in high school, it was pants until I got my driver's license and it was tanks of gas. Yeah, it's sad. But now I just look at, okay, how many puppies is that? Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But you can, one thing that in the recession is people are going to be looking to save money. And so if your product can save them money, you can make money selling them that. And so look to the DIYers, you know, consider a Pinterest account to, to show them ideas on how they can make something at home that will meet their needs in a more cost-effective way. You know, we're looking to serve the people that need um, to be able to do it themselves. And so yeah. if you can get that leg up, I mean, you're, you'll make money in a recession for sure. Yeah. Or even so, like a, a PDF or a video or a little recipe book of how to stretch your dog food with like, uh, you know, whole ingredients at home, you know, putting eggs in it and that kind of stuff. Um, that's great advice for people. But yeah. You're not, yeah. <laughs> I save when I'm cooking, I save all my scraps with yeah. before they're seasoned and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bert and Lucy are my little compost bins. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I think it's great. You know, I don't, I don't mind it too much. You know, the dogs eat so healthy all the time that, you know, here and there. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm not giving them, um, like McDonald's, but like (laughs) cucumber scraps and Bert's favorite thing is broccoli. I've never met a dog that like broccoli and he loves it. That's so funny. You got to get a video of that. I just got to see that. (laughs) (laughs) He likes the stock, which is the part I don't want. So it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. So there you go. Saving money on your grocery bills and dog food bills. I love it. Yeah. It's, it's, we have advice for everything here. Um, well, Julie, time has just flown by. Um, thank you so much for this advice. I think it's really actionable and, and can really help a lot of people, uh, in their, in their pet business and in their life and with their customers and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I hope everyone will take action and follow some of these steps. Where can they go to learn more about you, Julie? Sure. Um, my website is honestdogreader.com and you can reach me there. Or I also have my Instagram, which is honest, uh, the honest dog reader. So. And you have your own podcast too, which I, um, will mention a few times in here, but the honest dog breeder podcast, which is a great resource as well. Sure. Absolutely. Thank you. So thank, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. What did you like most about this episode? Find me on Instagram at tmystic and let me know what intrigued you or what questions you have about starting or growing your own dog-inspired business. You can also screenshot this episode and tag me in your stories. I love to see who is listening out there. Some of the best conversations happen after the episode, right? So track me down over on Instagram or Join the Wear, Wag, Repeat Labs Facebook group to connect with other dog-obsessed entrepreneurs. And as always, you can find all the links and resources discussed in this episode at wearwagrepeat.com slash podcast. See you back here next week.